Hello Church, it's so good to see you all. It's, it feels like it's been so long since we've been able to gather together again. It is such a blessing that we can now do that, just be here with one another. And I've been looking forward to it for months, but I know that the road to get here has been a long one. I know that it's been probably two years now that we've been dealing with COVID and the lockdowns that have come as a result of it. And it's given us, really, it's given us a lot to be unhappy about. It's still not over yet. And I know that a lot of people have had to sacrifice their personal freedoms, you know, whether it's cancelled trips to visit families, whether it's postponed weddings. I know people have had to delay their surgery. Lots and lots of us have had to work full-time from home. There probably isn't a, a single one of us here that hasn't had to sacrifice something over the past two years. And while the lockdowns have been completely necessary to protect the most vulnerable people in society, it has had the unfortunate side effect of leaving so many of us feeling out of place in our own homes. In those places where we'd normally feel warmth and belonging have been places that we've wanted to escape. And I know it's been a hard time for young families juggling working from home while also homeschooling their kids. It's been a hard time for people who have been cut off from their normal social and community activities and a hard time for people who have just had to put their personal goals on hold. It feels like everything's had to just hit pause for a moment and I know on top of this there's been two extremes. There's been people who've had massively increased workloads who have been facing burnout and other people who have been had massively reduced workloads, feeling like they're lacking a sense of purpose and value. And then there's the anxiety. There's, we've seen case numbers reach well over 1,000 a day in New South Wales, and they skyrocketed to above 2,000 a day in Victoria. And along with that, unfortunately, came hospitalizations and deaths. And this has created a lot of anxiety in us about just being able to go outside. And I know that on top of that, there's many families that are dealing with grief, having actually lost someone to the virus. And so I want to show you a study that was published in the Journal of Psychiatric Research, which I think shows us the magnitude of the distress that people have been dealing with during the pandemic. So at the height of the restrictions in Victoria last year, the researchers of this particular study, they surveyed 1,157 people and what they found that was roughly one third of those people displayed symptoms of anxiety and depression. They found that roughly a quarter of those people said that they were facing burnout. 12.3% uh, had started or increased using substances to help them deal with their emotions. And perhaps most alarmingly, almost 10% of people, almost one in 10 people, reported seriously considering suicide in the past 30 days. And I read that and my heart really grieves for those people. And now admittedly the, the researchers here, they, they don't compare their findings with pre-pandemic levels. So we can't say for certain that this is the result of the pandemic. But regardless of that, this paints a picture of a society that is dealing with some very, very serious pain and hurt. And it tells us that there are people who are not just unhappy, but they're, they're deeply hurt. They're, they're probably also very angry with the situation, maybe confused as to why it's happening to them. And as Christians, we are not immune to these kinds of feelings. We are not immune to these kinds of emotions either. And so 
makes us ask the question, where do you go when you're faced with these kinds of emotions? When you're suffering, when the people around you are suffering, when your situation fills you with pain and anger, where do you go with those kinds of emotions? And I'd say that for the most part, our culture tends to avoid them. Now, our culture doesn't know what to do maybe when they're faced with emotions of that kind of magnitude. And so we tend to avoid it. Perhaps we try to numb it with distractions or by self-medicating. I see a lot of people kind of push them down and suppress them. They, they bottle those feelings up. Because at the end of the day, dealing with your pain and anger, it makes us uncomfortable. And so we'd rather avoid it altogether if we can. But what I want to show you is that as Christians, we have another option. As Christians, in our times of pain, anger and confusion, we can bring those things to God. And so learning what to do with our pain, anger and confusion, I think is a really important part of the Christian journey. And you'll find that the Bible is full of examples of people who cry out to God in those situations, from slaves and orphans through to kings and prophets. The Bible is full of examples that you can not only read about, but you can see how those people dealt with it. And often it's through the process of lament, where people bring their complaints to God through this passionate expression of their pain and suffering. And in fact, as it turns out, the most frequent type of psalm in the Bible is that of lament. And so I've just got a few examples there. I don't expect you to remember that. This is just to show you that there are lots of examples of lament poems in the Bible. So it's not some sort of obscure reference. It's not just a small part of the Psalms, for example. Um, so you'll find them, of course, in the book of Psalms, but also in the book of Lamentations. And this is where people are passionately bringing their pain, their anger, and their confusion to God. And an insight that I gained from the Bible Project is that these biblical poems of lament do three main things. The first is that they're a form of protest. They're a way of drawing everyone's attention, including God's attention, to the things that are happening in the world that we think should not be tolerated. Things that we think shouldn't exist in God's good world. The second thing that they do is that they are a way of processing emotion. In these poems, God's people vent their anger and their frustration at the things that are causing pain and suffering in the world. They don't avoid them, they don't bottle them up. They express their emotions and they use them, actually, that time they spend in them, to move through them. And the third thing that they do is that they are a place to voice confusion. Suffering does make us ask hard questions about God, about his character, about who he is, and the promises that he has for us. And they're used as a place to voice that confusion. And importantly, none of this is looked down on in the Bible. None of this is seen as being disrespectful or out of place. Actually, just the opposite. It's seen as being necessary and important. And to explore this further, I want to draw on some examples from the Book of Lamentations. And so the Book of Lamentations is an example of this passionate display of people bringing their pain, their anger, and their confusion to God. And the context of this book is that it was written as a response to the fall of Jerusalem. So in 586 BC, Jerusalem was captured and destroyed by Babylon. 
And there are other books in the Bible that retell the history of those events. So 2 Kings, Jeremiah 52, those are historical accounts of what happened. But Lamentations looks at it from a different perspective. It explores it from the perspective of someone who lived through those events. They explore what it was like to live in Jerusalem at the time it was conquered. And so they use Hebrew poetry to do that. And poetry is used, I think, because it's a powerful way to express things that go beyond everyday words. You know, poetry is able to produce these powerful, vivid images in our minds, and it helps us to relate to things that go outside of our normal, everyday experiences. And it would have been horrific. The fall of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple was the greatest catastrophe in Israel's history. And so what the author does is they, they take us on a journey through Israel's pain. Yeah, and particularly from the perspective of those left behind in the city. And I'll show you some examples of how these lament poems do those three things that I mentioned. So firstly, they are a form of protest. Let's read Lamentations chapter 2, verses 11 to 12. My eyes fail from weeping. I am in torment within my heart is poured out on the ground because my people are destroyed, because children and infants faint in the streets of the city. They say to their mothers, where is bread and wine? As they faint like the wounded in the streets of the city, as their lives ebb away in their mother's arms. So this is an example of lament being used as a form of protest. The poet is drawing everyone's attention, including God's attention, to the things, the horrible things that are happening. Yeah, like how parents are watching their children starve and die. And throughout these poems, in Lamentations, we see the poet expressing some of the worst things imaginable. They talk about how people are not only starving, but young men and women are being killed by the sword, other people are being enslaved. And by describing these things, they're saying that these things should not exist. This is my protest. I'm going to lay out everything that's happening that I think is not okay in the world, things that should not be tolerated. But in describing what's happening, these events also bring up a lot of anger and frustration. And what we see next is how the poet then vents that anger and frustration to God. So next let's read Lamentations chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath. He has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. He has made my skin and my flesh grow old. He has broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He has made me dwell in darkness like those long dead. So there are two things happening here. On one hand, the poet is framing the destruction of Jerusalem as an act of God's justice. He's saying that the people were corrupt and they were conquered because of their injustice. But at the same time, he's also expressing their anger at the fact that there's suffering. That because they're being conquered, there's so much suffering happening in, in their world in Jerusalem at that time. And so we see them attributing all the bad things that have happened to God. They're saying, God is the one who's made me walk in darkness. God has broken my bones. And this might be confusing for us to read. But what I see here is the poet wrestling with the idea that God is just. So on one hand, the poet, they can see God has turned away from them. He's allowed them to be conquered. 
because of how corrupt they have become. And so on one hand, he says, well, they probably got what they deserved. But on the other hand, they're still angry that God would allow this to happen. They're angry that innocent people are suffering because of the actions of others. And when we read verses like these, we shouldn't then make sweeping generalizations and say things like, all suffering is a result of people's sin, or suggest that God is the source of the suffering. That's not what these verses are about. You know, that's, that's not what the author intends for us to take away when we read verses like these. Instead, the poet is just being honest about how they feel. They're being honest that they're angry. They're angry about the fact that people are suffering, that they are suffering. And that's what these verses are all about. And in that sense, we see here the poets using these verses to process their emotions. They don't avoid these feelings. They don't suppress them. Instead, they spend a lot of time exploring them because they believe that the way to get through them is to first of all spend time in them and just acknowledge that they exist. And that's what they're doing here. So the third thing they do is they then voice their confusion to God. So Lamentations chapter 5, verses 19 to 22. You, Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures from generation to generation. So why do you always forget us? Why do you forsake us so long? Restore us to yourself, Lord, that we may return. Renew our days of old, unless you have totally, unless you've utterly rejected us and are angry with us beyond measure. So the poet acknowledges here that God is the eternal king of the world. He says his throne endures from generation to generation. But at the same time, they express how their current circumstances make them feel like God is nowhere to be found. They say, so why do you always forget us? And they're expressing this tension between knowing God is across everything. God knows who you are. He knows what you're going through, what you're struggling with. But at the same time, having that feeling like you've been forgotten feeling like God isn't working in your life, feeling like God has forgotten you. And so they voice their confusion to God and they ask questions about his character and about his promises for them. And actually, that's how the book ends. You know, those are the final verses in the book of Lamentations. It ends with this cry of confusion to God. And in that sense, the, the poet doesn't offer this nice, neat conclusion to explain why everything is the way that it is. They simply express their confusion and they cry out to God. And again, this is not seen as being disrespectful. These verses show us, I think, that God wants us to come to him with everything. And that includes our doubt and our confusion. God wants us to bring our whole selves to him, even when we're not at our best, even when we're confused and hurting. But there's one more thing here that the poet does in the Book of Lamentations that I think is really important to understand. And it puts all of this into perspective. So we've seen how he's used this as a form of protest. He's used this as a way of expressing their pain and their anger and a way of voicing their confusion. But all of this is done with hope. They bring this to God with hope. And so I want to show you Lamentations chapter 3, verses 19 to 24. It says, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall, I remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, 
and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. So there are a few things worth noticing here. The first is that we've jumped back to chapter 3. This, these verses are actually in the centre of the book of Lamentations. And you find this in some of the Old Testament books. It's a Hebrew literary device, I guess you could say, where they put the most important part in the middle of the book. The idea is to draw your attention to it. The poet here is saying, this is important. You should take note of these words because they are the most important words in the entire book. And then notice that the source of their hope isn't in their situation changing. They don't say, I'll put my hope in tomorrow being a better day. Their hope isn't in God necessarily taking away the source of their suffering or just making and fixing the situation. But their hope, rather, is in their knowledge of God and his character. They say that their, their knowledge is that God is a God of love, that his compassions never fail, and that he is faithful. In other words, their hope is in God's character, in who he is. And because their hope is in God's character, they have decided to wait for God. And I think that highlights a big part of what the Book of Lamentations is all about. It teaches us to wait within our suffering, to be in our suffering, not ignoring it or suppressing it, not trying to bottle it up, but to endure it. Not enduring it for the sake of enduring it, but enduring it with hope in God's character. A hope that comes from knowing who God is. And here the poet is saying that despite their suffering, despite the fact that they don't know how this whole thing is going to turn out, they know that God cares. Yeah, they know that God is a God of love and compassion. And they trust that God cares deeply about their situation and about what's wrong in the world. And so regardless of whether we're responsible for the pain or somebody else's, God cares deeply. And as Christians, we can draw on that same understanding of who God is. In fact, we can point to a specific event in history that shows us, without a doubt, that God is loving and compassionate. And that's Jesus on the cross. Jesus' death shows us that God is willing to enter into our world and suffer on our behalf. Jesus' death shows us that our God is one who is willing to give his life for us. That our God is one who would rather endure pain and suffering than abandon us. But of course, we also know that Jesus didn't just die. He rose again, and Jesus' resurrection shows us that God is faithful. That God is faithful to fulfill his promises to us. Because with Jesus' resurrection, he conquered sin and death. He made a way for us to be restored back into God's presence. Which means that one day we will experience a place where there is no mourning, no more sickness, no more death. And that shows us that God is not distant and removed. It shows us that he has heard our cries and he is here with us. And that is where my hope comes from. My hope is alive because Jesus is alive. And so this year has been full of turmoil and injustice. There's been a lot of sickness and death and the revelation I want you to take from this sermon is that the Bible doesn't tell us to just ignore it. 
You know, the Bible doesn't offer us some sort of escapist spirituality where we just ignore our pain and suffering. We aren't called to pretend like everything's okay when it's not. Rather, Lamentations asks us to focus on the pain and the pain of others and then cry out to God in our anger, in our confusion, knowing that he hears us. And from the book of Lamentations, we learn that it's okay to feel sad and angry in all shades of it, and it's okay to express that to God. Yeah. And so I should also make it clear that this is not designed to you know, replace any other strategies that you might have for dealing with your pain and your anger. It's also not going to answer all your questions of why pain and suffering exists in the world. But regardless of that, this is still a really important Christian discipline that we should practice, a practice of lament. So I want to invite you to do just that. Like the author of Lamentations and the communities that they wrote to, we are called to lament. So in your own time, whenever it feels appropriate, express your pain, your anger and your confusion to God about what's not right in the world. And there's no special formula to do that, but I would like to offer you some suggestions. The first is spend some time in the Book of Lamentations. Spend some time reading one of the chapters. Use it for inspiration, let it put you in the mood. See how the poet uses their words and the kind of things that they're dealing with. And then look at your own world. Take note of what's broken in your community, in your life, in your relationships. And once you find a place of pain, don't move on too quickly, actually explore it. Think about how terrible it actually is. Say it out loud, turn it into words and write it down. Just describe the way things are and you'll probably feel some big feelings, but I'd say let yourself feel it. Don't try to move past it too quickly because that's what they do in the Book of Lamentations. They spend time exploring it. Just be in it. And from the Book of Lamentations, they're telling us that's how you actually move through it, by spending time in it and just acknowledging that it's there. And then third of all, create a lament. Bring a protest to God. Voice your anger, voice your confusion about what's not right in the world. Protest the things that you think shouldn't exist in God's world and tell God how you feel about it, knowing that God hears you. And then finally, look to Jesus. Let your focus turn to him and then look there for God's response to your lament. Imagine Jesus there on the cross, taking on all the darkness. Let, see him there taking on all the grief and the pain of the world. See him carrying it for you personally. And then look to his resurrection and see his victory. See him conquering the darkness and let that perspective, let that change your perspective on the state of the world. And let it give you hope. Hope that comes from knowing God's character. And so learning this practice of lament, I think it can be uncomfortable, but I think it's a really important part of our spiritual growth. And right now there's a lot worth lamenting in our world. And so now seems like a pretty good time to try this spiritual practice. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we come to you this evening just acknowledging that there is so much broken in our world, Lord. And so I lift up all those people who are struggling with broken relationships, suffering, Lord, with pain or with death or with sickness. 
Lord, there are lots of things that are not right in this world, and we lift them up to you, Lord. I pray especially for all those people who are dealing with anxiety and depression, Lord. I pray for all those people who are dealing with burnout. I pray all those people who are seriously considering suicide. I pray, Lord, that you would lift that burden off them. I pray, Lord, that they would cry out to you in their pain and that you would help their pain to fade, that their looking to you, Lord, would change their perspective on their lives because, Lord, we know that we have hope because we know who you are, Lord. We can look to Jesus every single time and say, Lord, you have made a way for us to be restored back to you, and we thank you so much for that, Lord. You have given us hope, and our hope is alive because Jesus is alive. Amen.